Hello. Hello, John. How are you? Hi there, Dan Benjamin. How's everything going? You're back. You're back from your cruise. Back. And everything else. You're back. Back! <laughs> how, did, how was it? How'd it go? Uh, the cruise wa- went great. Good. It went great. Good. Better than, um, you know, better. Well, I, I don't want to say better than I expected, but, you know, that's... Um, it was it was a positive experience, I think, for me and for everybody. I mean, oh, you know, I'm sure there were people that had fights with each other on the boat, and they were like, "I'm never doing that again." But do you think a lot of people, divorces happen on the boat? No, I don't. I don't. I think people that come on that cruise as a couple are probably pretty solid in what they're all about. That's the thing about uh, that's the thing about like a thing like Joko Cruise where people. Um, know what they're about. You know, right, there right. aren't people that come on that cruise that are like, I don't know what I like or what I'm about. You know, that's it's one of the defining qualities of the of 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 the sea monkeys that they're really comfortable saying like, I am all about the Civil War and Pokemon or whatever it is. You know, I love music or I'm a, you know I'm a visual artist or I like games. So it feels like they've all worked that stuff out a long time before they get on the boat. Really? It just uh, it just feels like I I don't see a I lot of people great. wandering it's around. Really good. You know, I think people are getting introduced to new stuff all the time. Mm-hmm. And it's possible that if you were married, you could come on the boat and and one of the couple could could suddenly discover a new thing there that the other one was like, I'm not into that at all. Even that, it would feel like it feels to me like the way those relationships look from the outside. Um, that 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 even that would be baked in the idea that one of the two would like something that the other didn't. You know, right? Sure. I don't know. It's a very it's a rare environment there, and one that that I grow to appreciate more and more all the time. Uh, it's become some, part of part of your life in a way now. I think. Yeah, some of those sea monkeys I've known for nine years. Wow. There's a there's a little bit of a problem here, which is the work from home bandwidth problem. Elsewhere in this house, uh-huh. my daughter's mother is video conferencing with her work people. You need to go let her know that this is way more important. <laughs> and she is gobbling up bandwidth. This is a problem we don't normally have here. Yeah. Uh, there's there are some uh, stresses being put on the it's on the bandwidth. True, it's true, and not just on the bandwidth. Am I right? Uh, well, you know, everybody here. The thing what's crazy about this whole sequester thing is that it has been happening for less than a week. I know, I know. people act <laughs> like we've been suffering for months or years already. And, and yeah, I, uh, there's a lot of us, John. I worked from home. Mo, you know, pretty much alone uh, for oh God, like ten, like eight to ten years or something like that. Right. I'm not going to say that it was. Um, I mean, there the things that I didn't like about it w- was the lack of social interaction. You just have to take extra steps to do that. And I mean, I lived in freaking Orlando, which <laughs> at the time, even in, and there was no quarantine or self, you know, social isolation going on there was just no one to talk to and nothing to do in, in the field that I was in anyway. I mean, like I had friends and stuff, but it wasn't like there was a community out there 
that, that was something I felt like I could participate in, in a way that I cared about at the time. So it was very, that in and of itself was isolating, but like I did that for years and years and years and years and it was fine. It was fine. Yeah. There were things I missed, but it was fine. And I get that it's kind of funny right now and it helps bring some levity to the situation that we're all we're all worried about this virus and everything else. So it's fun to kind of joke like I'm working from home. But I made the choice to work from home. Like yeah. I chose to do that. I said, you know what? I'm and at first I was um I was running my own business and then I eventually like found full-time work where, where basically a client became my number one client and they basically bought all of my time. So I was essentially an employee and then actually became an employee and was still working from home and then went back to running my own business and then eventually started five by five from home. Like I started five by five in a spare bedroom and but I made that choice. It wasn't like I was going to work and thought I was in an office. And one day they said, uh, 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 you can't come in anymore. And I think that's why people are so thrown off by it because they never wanted to do this and never planned to do it. And for a lot of people, especially younger people, that's a big part of their social interaction because they're not, they don't have a spouse and a family at home. You know, their social outlet for a lot of people is what happens at work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, uh, honestly, what, we've been in isolation. I mean, I got back from the cruise on Saturday night, <clears throat> and we went immediately into kind of uh, shutdown mode. Right. And today we're recording this show on Thursday. Now, the number of times in the last 10 years where from Saturday to Thursday, I didn't ever really go meet anybody or do anything. Mm-hmm. I, it's it's basically every other week. Like this, <laughs> this has not been any imposition on on us really at all, except that the threat. I think it's I think it's the classic kind of. Uh, we talk a lot on this show about future fucking. Yeah, but the future fucking potential here. You know, we're not sitting here thinking, oh, I've, we haven't like we haven't gone to any cocktail parties in the last five days. We're thinking, can we keep doing this? for four months mm -hmm. you know like school is canceled into the end of april now oh have they moved it because i know <clears> that, <throat> that where you guys are in seattle weren't you one of the first to essentially can cancel or postpone the schools yeah we're we're doing i mean we're we're way ahead of the curve because you know washington state is a liberal democracy right so you know the governor and the then the the county executive like tried to get way way out in front of uh, of what you know recommendations coming down the pike were although we kept the schools open maybe even longer than i thought we would i think the governor didn't want to keep the schools open he was just like holding back from making big sweeping declarations for a little bit but the idea you know you keep reading um i i was saying to merlin like it serves no purpose for you to be on twitter eight hours a day uh, counting every single new case of coronavirus. Right. Like that's just going to drive you crazy. But even if you read the <clears throat> sort of the digest, you know, the, that thing that just came out on the independent where they were like, could be 18 months um, before there's a vaccine. And mm -hmm. anytime you lift the quarantine, you're basically inviting the virus back. So, yeah, and just thinking about that and like, huh, all right, that's, I mean, we all knew that, but really, how do you integrate that into your daily plan? 
how am I going to educate my daughter for 18 months? You know, and in a way it's exciting. I think we're seeing the, the immediate reduction in pollution and (laughs) the immediate reduction in like, it's basically the greenest thing we could possibly do is do what we're doing. Everybody stay stay home and stop fucking driving around and, Mm -hmm. and burning coal. And it's also, I think from a business case standpoint, if all of these people can work from home, they should. And if, uh, you know, or why not, if you wanted to, right, we've been saying this for decades, like, Mm -hmm. okay, we could all work from home now. Why do I have to be in the office at 8am on Monday? Like some people do, some people want to, but it's not necessary. And then it's also really pushing I mean, it's really moving the bar on ideas about the social services, social safety net. And, you know, if in, in a situation like this, we can come forward with some form of universal basic income, if in a situation like this, we, all this attention is directed at our medical insurance industrial complex and reforms are made out of necessity well, it's going to be very hard, not impossible, but very hard 18 months from now for, uh, to, to like roll back those reforms, right? you know, and say like, oh, well, we're going back to like a super inhumane system where we don't care about each other anymore. But you know, that last 18 months where we were all pulling together, wasn't that funny. <laughs> I mean, this could, <laughs> this could be transformational and it, and and that's exciting to think about. I mean, a lot of people are getting hurt, not just getting sick, but a lot of people are going getting hurt and being hurt. But that's the narrative that we've been talking about, like really aggressively, at least on the progressive side for the last four years, which is a lot of people are getting hurt all the time. And, you know, that then standing in bold relief now, and I, I, this has long been the, the, the suggestion, which is, People are going to get on board with progressive politics if they feel hurt, if it's, if that hurt actually extends to them, you know, it's the empathy, empathy gap or whatever. And trying to make a case for progressivism, trying to make a case for a social service, a social safety net, but also a kind of, you know, what, what is being described as socialism, Mm -hmm. you know, the appeal of that when you try and make that appeal to people, they have to be able to answer, is this better for me? Is this better than the alternative? And that's a thing that progressives have kind of forgotten how to do to not just yell at people and tell them that this is better, but actually appeal to them and say like, this is better for you. It's not, you're not, we're not just chastising you and shaming you into Mm -hmm. this. This would be better than your current situation and making that appeal you know, at a broader level than just, don't you want free healthcare? Don't you want free college? Like it has to be, it has to be more, uh, you know, a more inclusive idea of like, this will make your life better across the board. You will have more freedom or you will have at least more options and more, you will feel more wealthy because there will be services that protect you against fear. Um, and maybe this is an opportunity for that case to be made where it's like, we're all in, we're all afraid now. So what, which is the way out? Like, 
<laughs> like corporatism does not seem to be working as well as a feeling of common cause. And that's, uh, that should be reassuring to us. You know, it's reassuring to me. Um, you often think about it in terms of like in a war, everyone pulls together and the, the argument for a long time about releasing the evidence in project blue book <laughs> uh, has been, you know, if we really felt like there was an external threat, um, very quickly, there would be a kind of united feeling of global solidarity, right? If there was, if there was really a, like an UFO army, um, posted up outside the atmosphere, like we would put aside our differences pretty fast. Mm -hmm. And if it turns out that that is a, <clears throat> like a, a chicken virus <laughs> that at least does it a little bit, you know, that at least sets up a situation where we in America are looking at South Korea and going, huh, maybe they have a, maybe they had some good ideas in South Korea. That's not normally the way we approach every day. Right. Right. So I'm trying, I, it's not that I'm trying to look at the bright side. Ken, Ken Jennings and I, you know, we do this show, the premise of which is, um, we're going to keep doing this show until the apocalypse, which we know is nigh. Right. And we were talking about it yesterday and we were like, this is not the apocalypse. Like not only are we continuing to do omnibus, but also like, this isn't what it looks like. This is, this is actually, you know, an opportunity stake, but I have to educate my kid for the next 18 months in my house to earlier today. She was like, what, what's the atmosphere? And I was like, well, you tell me what the atmosphere is. And she gave me a very good description of the atmosphere. And I was like, so why do you, why did you ask me when you know the answer? Right. She was like, but I mean, how does it work? I was like, ah, and you know, this is like a, <clears throat> a fun, a fun moment, you know, to sit and do work with her that would, you know, that would be something that she would normally be doing at school. But it means that I have to, I have to spend a lot less time sitting and staring at my phone if she and I are going to go through fourth grade together. Right. We would like to say thank you very much to Feels because a lot of us, especially right now, are experiencing stress and having anxiety. You might also be having chronic pain or even having trouble sleeping. You're not alone. A lot of us are feeling this way right now. And, you know, something that has helped me tremendously with it over the years is CBD. I've been taking CBD for oh, three or four years now on a pretty regular basis. I started out using it to help me get better sleep and reduce stress and, of course, anxiety. But I found it also was helping me a lot with, uh, my, you know, post-workout soreness and stress in physical, the physical sense of stress. It made a huge difference for me. And, uh, and so I started taking it on a very regular basis and it really made a big difference. What's great about CBD is that it works naturally. There's no high, there's no hangover, there's no addiction. And the best CBD that I have found is by Feels, F-E-A-L-S, Feels. It is really, really great. You take a couple drops, you put it under your tongue, and you will feel a difference within just a few minutes. And like I said, it works naturally. And Feels is really great because they're using really, really great ingredients. I mean, to be honest, you can buy CBD oil anywhere. You can buy it anywhere. Like the gas station around the corner from my house has it. 
But that is not the kind of CBD that you should be buying. You should be buying CBD that's made with really high quality natural ingredients. You should be getting CBD that's tested. And that's exactly what Feels is all about. When you get your bottle of Feels, you're going to see on the back where it was tested and you can go and validate those results to make sure that what you're getting is pure and is the real deal and is is not just has other stuff in it because you don't want other stuff in there. But what's great about Feels is also they have real human support. Most people, many people are new to CBD. Well, Feels offers a free CBD hotline and text message support that'll help you guide your own personal experience. They even have a little flight so that they'll send you three little vials of CBD that have different strengths so that you can figure out which one is the right one for you because everyone's a little different and the kinds of results you can get from CBD are going to vary depending on who you are and what you're used to and a lot of other factors and they're there to help. They have me feeling my best every day and they can help you too. You can become a member by visiting feels, F-E-A-L-S, feels.com slash roadwork. By going to that URL, you're going to get 50% off your first order with free shipping. Pretty cool. It's a great way to start. You become a member. Oh, and by the way, when I'm talking about a member, it means it's going to get delivered to your door every month. But if you want to pause it, you can pause it anytime you want. If you want to cancel, you can cancel anytime you want. It just makes it easier because it's so easy to forget. And then when you realize, oh no, I'm about to run out. I've only got tonight's supply left and that's it. Yeah, you don't want to be there. Don't be that person. Instead, feels.com slash roadwork. Save 50% off your first order with free shipping when you become a member. Thanks very much to Feels for making this program possible. So <clears throat> what what's going on there? Are you guys all sequestered in the house? What's it I mean, like? Uh, got- no, no, I'm I'm, st- I'm the only one that, you know, my office is a personal private uh, office, right. so right, I right. can go back and forth from the home to the office as often as I want without encountering any other human beings. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> oh, and also Hattie is on the other side of a plane of glass, right? Uh, she, yeah, she can be, but she's also completely socially isolating as well. So she's, you know, basically going back and forth to her house and I guess the office and sometimes and the only person according to her that she is seeing at all the only living human being that she's seeing in person is me and the only people that i'm seeing are are my family so i mean it it's like we're an extended family who meet in a third location with only us in it is kind of how what it's like yeah Uh, so you know i mean in that sense yeah but like uh, you know it's not like it's my kids were on spring break this week anyway. It, and so they haven't really like they know they don't have to go back until the earliest would be the first week of April. Right. But uh, yeah, they haven't. It hasn't really sunk in. But see, my, my son, if I told him like, dude, you're going to be able to hang out and play Switch and Minecraft <laughs> all the time you want. He would, this was fine. Like from now on, this is fine. There's nothing. I, I, he has never said, I have never heard him say since the introduction of the first iPad that he's had when he was like, I don't know, whatever age you give it to him, three, I don't know. He's never said, dad, I'm bored. Right. My daughter says that to me constantly when, when she has literally everything, everything that she could ever want. She's still bored. My son He's playing The Witcher now. Uh-huh. And um he's obsessed with that game. 
there's so many games. He's he's a gamer. He's the most gamer. And, but also, uh, you are a <clears throat> like you're a germaphobe, mm-hmm. and so you're so this is this has got to be tickling all the receptors on you. It just means my behavior has been normalized. Right, I am, you're, I am now normal. <laughs> And this, this has is a, confirmed all your suspicions. That's right. If everybody walked around saying potatoes suck, you'd be like, yes, yes. W- welcome to my world. That's how I feel. I, it's it's like people are, are, are finally on board with the way that I've been thinking and feeling. And if more people were like me, there wouldn't even have the cor- flu, let alone a coronavirus or cold at all. Nothing would happen. So, you know. Yes, I'm I'm quite content to be in the majority for the first time in my life on anything. Yeah, the the, the compulsive hand washing that happened on the Joko cruise. Oh, I can it turned imagine. out it turned out it it actually reduced the amount of regular just sickness that is transmitted between people, <laughs> right? <laughs> by a dramatic amount such I don't that doubt it. such that Paul Saborn was like and Jonathan both were like with this is the lowest amount of sickness like in any cruise in recent memory because when we got on that boat we were a lot of us thinking like all it takes is a couple of people that already are exposed right and this is going to turn into like poop cruise point (laughs) 2.0 right except worse you know we're going to pull into florida in a week and they're not going to let us land yeah and we're all going to sit out here in quarantine and over the course of the cruise even though the incubation period is long enough that that when by the time we got back we were like I don't know we might all still have it mm-hmm. uh, but nobody got sick everybody was fine That's we so kind of went yeah and it was and we all kept um, we did not keep a six foot social distance but you know nerds typically keep a good foot and a half social distance from one another and um, yeah, by the end by the end of the boat, we were like, "Oh, do we really want to go back to shore? It doesn't sound like things are going so good up back there." Yeah, but, because all of a sudden, you guys might if if in fact nobody on the cruise was sick, you might have been like the last pocket of healthy human beings on the planet, and you should have stayed on the ship, and you could have repopulated the Earth. Yeah, I'm sure you thought about that a lot. We did. I mean, if I were going to pick a group from which to repopulate the earth yeah you would certainly have a brand new kind of earth if it was repopulated from the joko cruise cruise, exactly right um there would be a i think a lot less competitive sports in the next couple of generations (laughs) yeah Uh, but but we would build spectacular bridges and dams and we would have an active space program so you know take the good with the bad I cannot imagine, given the amount of brouhaha on Twitter right now, all this, all this like, oh, how are you surviving social isolation? It's like, dude, five days, five days. It's five days. Like, if you can't manage five days really, yeah. without panicking, right? what are you going to do two months from now? Like, give us a break a little bit. Like, you know, social isolation right now is just it's it's just normal it's just normal behavior like don't don't go around like sneezing on people you know what i mean i went to the beach i've been going to the beach because the beach is a place the beach is a place dan where you can see people from far off Mm -hmm. 
you see so them coming, some, and then you can you can dig into the sand and hide. Yeah, I mean, yeah. if you if you look down the beach and someone's coming toward you, you have a lot of opportunity to deviate course before you like, you know, there's no uh, there's no point in time where you turn a corner and smash into somebody right. if you're on the beach. Exactly. And this time in Washington State, this is like it's cold out, but it's sunny. And so everybody's kind of bundled up and walking around the beach and you're turning rocks over and you're looking at baby crabs and you're watching the seagulls and the, and the crows kind of fight it out. And it's fun, you know, it's nice out there and you can stay and everybody on the beach knows to stay away from each other. But that's always true on Washington beaches. You know, like if you see somebody on the beach in Washington, you nod and give a kind of half grimace, half smile. (laughs) <laughs> but it's the but that's the Washington way and the and, and the and the half grimace half smile is like oh you are also on my beach right both people feel that way like oh you're on my beach okay that's fine I'll let I'll allow it but now there's like it's friendlier right the the feeling of solidarity which is like haha you're also on my beach like is it are we all the way to feeling like it's our beach no but maybe someday, maybe we'll we'll arrive at a like this is our beach. It's uh, it's been five days. You know, let let's get let's check back in with each other in twenty five days and mm-hmm. see. I I don't even know. I went back on Twitter, Dan, because I felt like this was breaking news and I needed to stay on top of it. Mm-hmm. But. It, what is that? What is that? Right. How has that been? Do what has that done for you? And that's the. This is the other thing, is I've had I've had to cut. I've had to socially isolate myself from people I've never hung out with in person, even or friends in other states, because they can't stop obsessing and watching the news and like you were saying or looking at every single new case that's coming out. Like honestly, focus on the stuff that you can do something about. You know, yourself, your own family, being considerate with what you're buying in, in how many rolls of toilet paper you really need. You don't need that much. You know, and that's the thing is like focus on the stuff that you can. Can, can you and I'm not talking to you, John, I'm talking to the people right. who may be listening to this show. Can you save the economy from a recession or worse? Can you do that right now? Can you personally do that? I, I mean, I'm sure that we have some billionaires who could you know, shift and turn the course of the stock market listening to this show. But aside from them, most of us, we, we can't. So don't worry about it. Whatever happens is going to happen. And there's nothing you can do from your, you know, from your sofa about this right now, you know, right. Um, like, you know, there are a lot of people and I, I know a few of them. I'm friends with a few of them who work in the hospitality industry um, or adjacent to or connected to. Like I know somebody who works at South by Southwest, for example, and she's worried uh, another one of my friends is like the main marketing guy for the Alamo Draft House. They have closed all of their theaters basically and, and until they can open them again. Uh, so he's on a furlough. You know, I know other people who are just basically like not sure if they're what they're going to do, whether they work in a restaurant or something like that. And they just they just don't know what they're going to do in the next few weeks or the next few months. You know, and that's a real concern. But there's a lot of us who are like working from home or or working from our small office spaces or whatever. And it's 
you know, like, like, why are you sitting there watching the news all day long? Why is it on all day long? Turn it off. And this is the thing that I try to explain to people is that mainstream media, their job is to freak you the fuck out. Yes. That is their job and that is their only job. And they don't even know they're doing it because they've been doing it for so long and that is what the culture is there. They don't know what else they should be doing or what else to do. They want you to watch what they're saying and they want you to be freaked out because if you're freaked out, you'll watch more. Right. There is nothing, I can tell you this, there is nothing that's going to happen between eight in the morning and 5 p.m. <laughs> that you need to know that second. There isn't. There's nothing. Nothing. So, why, you know what you do at the at, You want to start your day with it. You want to end your day with it. Whatever. Spend 15 minutes. Read your favorite couple websites. Watch TV for whatever. Spend 15 minutes on it. You will know. Every, and it doesn't matter when you start the 15 minutes or when you stop the 15 minutes. You're going to mm-hmm. learn everything that you need to know in that 10 or 15 minutes about what happened that day. And that's it. And then get out of there. Stop watching it. Get out. And even that, there's nothing, you know, like if you're a parent, you're going to get an email, whether your kids are coming back to school or not. You know what I mean? Like you're going to be informed of the important things that are happening in your life. If there is a new, you know, they just closed bars and restaurants here in Austin. Well, yesterday they announced that they were closing them. It's for now you can do pickup and um, delivery only from right. the restaurants. You know, I found that out at about seven o'clock last night when I did my 15 minutes of looking at the news. I found it out. Okay, cool. So now that's another thing we're going to deal with. That's fine. Not eating out much anyway right now. So cool. I'll call in an order, pick it up if I need it. Great. And right. you know, did, did I need to know that the minute that that story broke, is it going to affect me? Does learning about that? Well, now things are really serious. If we can only pick our food up. Well, of course you were going to only be like, everybody knows that that's the progression. Everyone knows that what the progression is going to be. So get off the damn news. Right. Well, there's that other thing that I notice a lot <clears throat> in our smaller circle, which is, you know, the last uh, the last handful of years, there's been this really, really powerful social um, expectation that people in the people in the white middle class, people in the black and Asian middle class, mm-hmm. are expected socially by their peers to constantly apologize for themselves, right? And it's a way of expressing, initially it was a way of acknowledging that you had an understanding that you were going through life with an, with a set of circumstances that made life, uh, the, or that, rather that put up fewer obstacles in certain ways, fewer obstacles to you than other people, mm-hmm. right? It's much, much harder for a black woman than it is for a white woman right. just to live in the world. Yeah. Yeah. In ways that a white woman wouldn't understand, right? This is just the, this is basic wokeness. And by now that message is penetrated to an off. If you are, a, if you are on the political left, that message has penetrated, mm-hmm, right? And mm-hmm. if you have not done that reflection, that personal reflection, then that's on you. I mean, you, you should have done that work. And also we've all acknowledge that that is difficult work to keep in the forefront of your mind. Like every day you get up and you get in your car and you've got problems and you're working your life and you've got problems. 
And it's difficult to remember that when you're waiting in line behind a black woman and she's trying to do the same thing that you're doing, she has more obstacles just in general than you do. And so compassion is the order of the day, right? And, and, and that should affect your, that should just affect your worldview. It should affect, it should affect how you conduct your business. Mm. Now, what that morphed into was this kind of reflexive genuflection of that fact. And I think what it, what it morphed into was a, was actually like, it's much more comfortable for people on the left to have a shibboleth, which in this case is the, the terms of wokeness that they can say to one another to communicate that they are on the same team or that, that in some ways that, you know, each person is trying to say that they are a better version of the thing that's on, that we're all, all in agreement about. But also it has supplanted the actual difficult work of reminding yourself that that is true. Because if you have a shibboleth, if you have a, a mantra, if you're reflexively apologizing for yourself in every instance, every time you talk about your problem or your problems, which are real to you, if you take away something, if you say like, well, I know that this is coming from a position of privilege, but I can't believe that my car is still in the shop after two days. Mm-hmm. Where what you're, you're not talking about how difficult it is for other people. You're talking about your problem and then trying and then using it as, I mean, your problem, which is, which is an actual problem, but using it as a way to you know, there are all these terms that we have, the terms that are discredited, virtue signaling, for instance. But that's a real that's a real issue, right? If if you are saying, if you are reflecting on your privilege reflexively, then you're not actually reflecting on it. You're just you're just humming a tune, you know. Mm, right. And actually reflecting on it is the difficult work, and it's the only work of value. Repeating the chorus does nothing. It just inures us to the to the truth of the work, right? It just turns it into a song and dance routine. And I'm noticing now in the, you know, in the atmosphere of coronavirus that, that, that an, an acknowledge the in, initial acknowledgement that this is going to be even harder for some people than it is, you know, for you or for me, people that are already working from home, people that already are, socially isolated, but the middle class, it's going to be easier for us than it is for a lot of people. But rather than really think that through, mm-hmm. a lot of people are just falling back on the chorus. And that chorus has become in some ways like a part of the problem because it's because it's drowning out actual both personal reflection and societal reflection. Right. And it has become, because it is a mantra, um, it takes away the effectiveness of compassion because to say, I can't believe my car is still in the shop, but you know, I say that from a position of privilege. It's like, what, how is that helping? How did that improve anyone else's life for you to do that? Like your car is in the shop and you're pissed off about it. Leave it. Let that, you know, like that's legitimate. It has nothing to do with anybody else. 
you know, it's not, that is not a social, that is not an incident or an incidence where your social contribution can change anything, mm-hmm. right? And nobody hearing it is moved to change anything about themselves. You're just, you're just humming to each other. And, and yet we've arrived in a place where a failure to do that feels like it, like it, like that stands out now for me to say like, Oh God, my car is in the shop. I can't believe it. This guy, you know, my mechanic who makes $180,000 a year, uh, fixing cars and, and brags about it because he's, (laughs) because he's a foreign car mechanic in Seattle. You know, he he's every three weeks, he's got a new sports car and he's like, Oh yeah, this Dodge Viper, it's, you know, year one, it's worth a half a million dollars, whatever his fucking, his hokey is. Right. But because he's a blue collar guy, there's something in my mind is activated to emphasize that class distinction and set up a scenario where he has less opportunity, where he is a disadvantaged minority relative to me. When in fact, he's a classic example of the American immigrant dream uh, success story, yeah, right? He's, he came, he's the dream. He, he's a Palestinian. He came here. He's like, got, he's got four kids. He's raising them in America. He still practices his religion. You know, he's, he is the, he's it. He's the American success story, like a Palestinian Muslim who's running his own business. And yet for me to say like, why doesn't he fucking hurry up and fix my car? It like we, we would expect this reflexive, um, uh, like, uh, and false subjugation of our own problems to his because of this, uh, this need to, to communicate and broadcast to one another that, that we are, uh, that we are a virtuous class. And I don't know how long that can be sustained under a coronavirus. It's just amplifying it. It's it's turning up the the volume on it in a way that that now has become static. You know, it's static. We there are real things we need to do and real things we need to collectively do, pull together. And this kind of like bass backwards like middle-class socialist um, attempts to kind of be on the right side of class warfare as is exemplified on maybe on Twitter only, or at least more than more than it is in the actual world. Mm -hmm. It's just tired. It's tired. And, you know, I don't know if you've seen, but like the blood banks are low. Right. And giving to giving blood is like a, is sort of a basic civic contribution. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of people that are like, I don't want to go give blood. Like that seems like a place where people are going to cough on me and understandably, but also it doesn't take long to deplete the blood supply, right? Like that's a thing that needs to be constantly replenished. And my understanding is they get a lot of blood from college students and all colleges are closed. They get a lot of blood by going to places where there are already a bunch of people and saying, who wants to give blood? It's a lot harder to keep the blood supply up if you're counting on just individual people getting in their car and going to the blood bank to donate. Mm-hmm. Like that's a real thing that we can do. That's basic. Right. You know, that helps the collective, the collective self of us, of our, of the people. 
We would like to say thanks very much to ExpressVPN. This is my new VPN. This is my new one. I've had other VPNs, but once, once you go ExpressVPN, you don't go back. That's all I'm going to say about that. And we all know that VPN, it protects your privacy and security online. But I didn't know this until recently. It has taken my TV watching game to the next level. Why? Because you can un... I, I, I'm, I'm saying you could do this. You can un, use the VPN to unlock movies and shows that are only available in other countries. Check that out. Over the weekend, I was using ExpressVPN to binge something that's not available here over now. I'm not even going to say what it was. I'm going to let you guess what it was. But you can do that kind of thing. And it was so simple. You fire up ExpressVPN app. You change your location in the UK. You refresh Netflix. Guess what? Now you're on the UK Netflix. Pretty cool. Tons of stuff that you can... I know people who are using this kind of thing to watch stuff that they just can't see here in the States and vice versa, right? So... ExpressVPN, it hides your IP address. It lets you control where you want sites to think that you're located. So you can choose from almost 100 different countries. So just think about all the Netflix libraries you can go through. You love anime? ExpressVPN, tell them you're in Japan. Boom. Now you're watching all the anime you ever wanted to see. It, it works with any streaming service. Hulu, uh, BBC iPlayer, YouTube, you name it. There are hundreds of VPNs out there, but the reason that I like ExpressVPN is to watch shows because it is ridiculously fast. There's no buffering. There's no lag. You can stream in HD. No problem. And it works with all your devices, phones, media consoles, smart TVs, you name it. So if you visit this special URL that's made just for this show, it is expressvpn.com slash roadwork. Expressvpn.com slash roadwork. Go there, you will get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. So support our show, watch what you want, and protect yourself. ExpressVPN.com slash roadwork. It's what I use. You should give it a shot. Thanks very much to ExpressVPN for making this program possible. Now, I know you don't want to go because you might get a germ, which makes sense. There are a lot of people that don't want to get a germ. But when I woke up this morning, I was like, blood bank, you know, like that's a thing we can do today. That's like a, that's like a little mission we can go on. And, you know, but then we're also, you and I also doing our great work, our, our masterpiece, which is road work. The greatest thing you and I will ever do. The thing we'll be remembered for. That's helping the most people. Right. I've learned this now, Dan. Okay. I've learned I've learned that our work is is essential to the preservation of of society. And as such, we should have a greater ration of meat when meat rationing comes into play. Okay. I'm not going to apologize for more meat. No. No. We are we've earned it. We deserve okay. it. This is the time when we need it. We need the meat, Dan. Yes. Yeah. Um, I don't think that this is going to be as bad as the worst prognosis Mm -hmm. prognoses. And I think that's going to be evidence that we did the right thing. And that's always a problem because when a thing doesn't become a disaster because we did right, there are going to be a lot of people that feel like it wasn't a disaster. They'll say, well, there was no reason to do it because it, it never turned into anything. Right. So what, what did the, you do all that for? It was stupid. The next chicken virus is the one that's really going to kill 100 million people. Right. 
because everybody's like, fuck it, I'm going out to St. Patrick's Day. Yeah. I don't know. I've been thinking about this plague for a long time. Yeah. I've been thinking about this plague for decades. I knew it was coming. Yeah. I don't think this is it, frankly. I don't think this is the big one. But it's a good test. It is a good test. I mean, you know, it. the kind of plague I think that scares people the most is the kind that kills everyone equally, regardless of your age, regardless of if you've got an underlying health issue, regardless of anything. I think that's the one that scares people is simply if you are exposed to it, you die. That's the mm-hmm. one that people are terrified of. And, and it's but this seen- one could mutate, right? I mean, it could, it, it, it could, yes, I've read different things about that, but I mean, the way that it, it could or will mutate is typically uh, from what I've been reading. I mean, like, I don't want emails about this. Okay. <laughs> Email your, the CDC people, whatever. But if it, if it does mutate, which everything can mutate. I mean, the cold virus mutates, the flu mutates. That's why you sure. don't get the flu once and never again. Cause it's a little bit different every year. The cold, the show, you can get wrote- colds throughout the year. Roadwork mutated. Remember what roadwork was in the in the beginning? <laughs> I'm yeah, trying right to I'm trying to forget. But you know, in the case of of something like this, if it mutates, simply what th- what that means is it's the same virus that even though you had it a year or two ago, you could in theory get it again, and it would be the same in the same way that a cold or a flu is the same. Like you can have uh, you can have a uh, a cold. And yes. then you can get another cold a month or two or six or whatever later. Yes. And it's about the same as the other one. Maybe it's a little better. Maybe it's a little worse. But that's not always determined by the variation of the cold virus as much as are you healthy at the time? Were you a little bit more run down? Did you push yourself a little bit? Did you immediately, as soon as you felt a sore throat coming on, stay in bed all day or did you go to work? You know, those are all determining factors in how bad your cold is, too. My understanding from what I've read, and I talked to a, a CDC person about this actually, is that it's probably—I know—is that it's probably if if it evolves, if big if, then it would simply evolve into a slightly different version of itself, which would mean you might potentially be susceptible to get it again if you didn't get it the first time. Mm. But I, my prediction, and and of course, John, you know I'm a man of of rigorous science. I do know that. And so this is my prediction is I think that as I think that this has been not only around, but even here in the, in the States much longer than people think that it has. That's oh, okay. interesting. Number, number one. Okay. I think as the numbers start to come out there, there are people who are trying to do complete testing of groups of people, whether it's cities or towns or, or communities of one kind or another. And what they're finding is that when they do these, when they do these tests where they're able to test, not just, you know, the three people who have symptoms and the people directly around them, but when they're testing larger groups of people, they're finding that a much, much higher number of people have this and are completely asymptomatic, but are, of course are carriers. If you don't have any symptoms, you're a carrier of it. You can then spread it to someone and you could spread it to someone who is, you know, more potentially more vulnerable to it. Um, But as as we learn about this, one of the things that we're learning is that many more people seem to have it and don't know that they have it. And that 
only a very small subset of people even present any symptoms at all, a much, much smaller subset of those people have what, what they are calling a severe case of it. And a small subset of those people are the ones who are um, unfortunately dying from it. I actually think that the death rates, as they're using that term, there's other terms for it, are going to continue to even seem smaller if if they were able to truly test a much larger group of people. And I, I that doesn't change that we should take it any more lightly. It doesn't. But the other information that's been coming out that I also think is pretty interesting is showing that a lot of uh, a lot of the people that are getting it uh, are actually like I was saying before, they're they're asymptomatic. So we don't know that they're getting it. But when we look at the actual facts and information, especially what's been coming out of Italy recently, there was they were doing a bunch of research there. They were able to figure out that most of the people uh, who uh, got very sick from it um, had at least one, but in many cases, two or three underlying health conditions, in addition to being significantly well within that older population. So I think it was saying that the median age, this is in Italy, and I need to dig these numbers up there. This is just off the top of my head, but I read this yesterday. Is that the median age of people dying in Italy, I think it was 80 or 80 and a half years old was the Whoa. median age. And that all of them had at least one, but I think the average was two to three underlying conditions. The underlying conditions were um, a heart emphysema disease, emphysema, or, heart disease, yeah. um, uh, diabetes, things like that. They had, and in many cases they had two or three of those. And so what that means is that we're, we are like, back to your point, we are doing the right thing by not spreading it around, by washing our hands more, by not being out there and doing all of that stuff. But more and more, it seems like those most at risk for it are people with either immune issues or who are older or who are older and have underlying health conditions. So the people that are the most important to be quarantined or isolated, I've heard people saying, well, younger people don't need to worry about it then. It's just the older people. They should be the only ones. And we know now it's not that simple. But I think that these numbers will bear out. And I think whether it's in three months from now or a year from now, as people are going to be studying this the way they studied all things that happened, whether it's 9-11 or the Challenger incident or whatever happened in, you know, like what happened with the real estate market when it bottomed out, you know, in retrospect, we'll look back. And I, I, I think that those are the kinds of things that we're going to see. We saw, John, I lived in Florida for way too long and we had hurricanes coming through there all the time. And we were always seeing this kind of the the exact thing that you just described, which is they told us there was this horrible thing coming for us. They told us to panic. They told us to go make storm shutters out of plywood and put them onto our house and stock up on supplies and prepare for weeks or months of no water and no food and all of this stuff. And then the thing turned, you know, three days ago it turned and now it's not even going to hit the United States. It's going back out to sea. What did we do all that for? Our governors are stupid. The people at the storm centers in NOAA are idiots. And why are we following any of this advice? It's stupid. And so then the next time that it happens, everyone panics. They're like, I'm not leaving. I'm staying right here, finishing my coffee. And then it does hit and their house is destroyed. And they're like, why didn't you tell us it was going to be serious? It's like, you can't win. 
<laughs> you know, we had that stupid boil water thing here. Do you remember that last year in Austin? Yeah, what was that about? about? Well, we got got an unprecedented amount of rain in Austin over a very short period of time. And it it rained really, really, really heavily for like two weeks. It does that sometimes. It happens. And what happens, most of the water that we get here comes from the rivers that are here. There's one big river that, that most of the water in Austin and surrounding areas comes from that river. And so the silt that was caused from all of the rain... What is that river, by the way, Dan? The Colorado River received all of this silt that came down from, I guess, the surrounding, the things that surround the river. Sure. And the land. The land. And this silt causes something called turbidity, which Mm. is a new word for me last year, and I love it. And apparently that means the water is cloudy and filled with silt. And so this silt, even though it's very, very fine, over time starts to clog up the intake filters that lead into the water treatment plant, which slows down how quickly the water gets into the plant. And then within the plant, as they're filtering it all out to make it into drinking water, it slows down that whole process, clogs it up. So instead of making a billion barrels of water a day, they can only make... 400,000 barrels of water a day or whatever. Now that's quite a bit less water from a billion to 400,000. Those are not exact numbers. I see. Okay. Uh, But it made a difference. I don't know if it was a third, it reduced it by a third or by half or, but it was, it was enough that what happened was they, they, first of all, they said, you have to conserve water. So use less water. So as soon as they hear that everyone, there's a run on all the water supply and everywhere, everyone's buying bottles of water, everything else. Fine. That's crazy. But, you know, people people need their water. But then the thing, there was a, a, they're saying, okay, so conserve, but also boil the water. If you boil the water, it's fine to drink. We're not going to run out of water. There was never a concern about running out of water. It was only that, that you needed to boil it. Why did you need to boil it? Because, because of, of the silt, there was a chance, a slight chance that a crawdad, a, would get a, a crawdad or some kind of little bacterium could get into the water supply. They were testing it constantly. They found nothing. Throughout the whole time that we had to conserve water, they found nothing. Not one single issue. But mm. they had to tell the population of Austin, drink bottled water or boiled water. And the guy would come on and he'd say, we are trying to protect everybody all of the time, and if even one single person in Austin gets sick, then that means we have failed. And mm. that's the way that people in government and CDC and everywhere else is, is treating these kinds of things. It's not that, well, it's okay if some people get sick from the water, but you know, boil it if you're worried about it. They can't say that. They have sure. to say everybody must boil their water or buy the water because if you don't, you're going to die. And by the way, I think the worst thing that could happen from this bacteria is you might get some bad, bad poopy time. Mm. Um, and that, you know, for certain people, if you're an immune compromise, maybe there's a bigger risk. I'm not taking anything away from that. I'm saying they made such a big deal out of it because they have to protect everybody from everything all the time. And if you're, if you understand that that's how government feels and understand that media is going to sensationalize everything so you keep watching, 
that's part of this culture that we're experiencing right now because it's not enough to just say, hey, there's this virus out there. You could potentially die from it if you have the right if, if, if you fall into the category of people that seem like they die from it, we don't know for sure right now, but this is what it seems like. If that sounds like it could be you, that's a problem and, uh, and, and you better be careful. And you know what? We want everyone to just be mindful of this and just stay inside. They can't put it out there like that. They have to freak people out because if people aren't freaked out, they won't listen. Freak them out. Freak them out, Dan. I'm telling you. Well, it's funny given how uh, what a premium we put on in America, um, what a premium we put on individual choice, or at least the um, appearance of individual choice. Mm-hmm. But in situations like this, well, so the virus thing is different because in the virus thing, the um, the fact that this is communicable, communicable. Mm. communicable communicable okay <laughs> um <laughs> means that we cannot have the fantasy of freedom of choice in terms of are we going to allow people to go to uh like football games or right. are we going to you know like you you can show that the government has an interest in like a complete lockdown mm-hmm. of civic space um, if you want to go to your cousin's house and swap spit, uh, you know, we're, we, we aren't capable of locking down the world to that degree, right? Mm-hmm. We just don't have the, we don't have the police state infrastructure. Right. But on a thing like, are, do you want to drink water straight out of the river or not? Um, you can always just go down to the river and put your head in it and drink. But you're right that the government and and media both, um, they're not. We we don't really um, we don't have a libertarian enough society that uh, that the government feels like they can give everyone the information and then right. allow you to choose. Right. right here's here's the, here's what the bug does. If you don't mind having a ha- being sick from a from an intestinal parasite, go by all means. Don't boil your water. Um, and we don't do that, I think, because there's just a there's a sense that people aren't capable of interpreting even slightly complicated scientific information, right? We and so much of our insti- so many of our institutions on all sides of the political spectrum are built around the idea that smarter people are going to interpret the data for you. And in a lot of cases, we do need smart people to interpret data, but not all the time. The problem is that the people, a lot of people got into the data interpretation business that aren't smart or aren't, or have an agenda, right? Like if your minister is the person you're turning to, to interpret CDC data for you, you are consulting the wrong expert. Right. If you right, are going, right. if you are going to your minister to tell you whether or not the world is round, you're going to the wrong expert. And somewhere along the line, we lost the idea that in in um, that well, we lost the idea that expertise is not a generalized um, skill set. Right. You don't go to it except in the cases where people are consulting me. 
you don't typically go to a general expert. If you're looking for astronomy mm-hmm. or geology or biology or chemistry uh, and engineering, like you don't, you don't just go to the local wiseacre down around the pickle barrel and you don't go to your minister and you don't go to say a podcaster that's just throwing out ideas uh-huh. <laughs> um, and you know, throwing them up there in the air and seeing, seeing which ones are, which ones are clay pigeons and which ones are real pigeons. But we're, but we're in a world now where, where there are no experts, you know, or, or where we rank actual experts and total charlatans and just guys around the pickle barrel shouting, we rank them all equally right. depending on, uh, I don't know what factors, you know, depending on what, uh, the degree to which you believe that the world is governed by conspiracy or not. I honestly, I know you love conspiracies, Dan. I do. I'm, there's no hiding that. But I honestly believe that the that conspiracies are our enemy in the sense that, you know, we, we've all experienced the thing where we start to, where, where, we, where we ironically like a TV show or a band and then gradually find ourselves actually liking them and wondering how we got to this place. You know, like the original fans of My Little Pony were ironic and then pretty soon it was a whole cult of adults that were like, actually, they have really great values. You know, like ironic hipster love of things often turns into just mass culture earnest love for things. Mm-hmm. But conspiracy theories among all of those mass cultural products that people start out like, oh, the world is flat. Let me see what these ding dongs are talking about. And then it doesn't take long to read up enough that you become like one of these, you become a doubter. I mean, John Hodgman got really into Scientology for a while. Really? Because he, because it spooked him, right? And he found all these, these like land org videos or sea org videos. Sea org, yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Like these sort of secret, um, VHS tapes that had been copied 50 times and then put up on the internet and he watched them and he, in, and he made me watch them. He made all his friends watch them. Like you would go over and he'd be like, sit down. I want to show you something. And you're watching really? some, some weird Scientology video. He, he subscribed to the magazines. You know, he was like really into it because it was, and I don't think it was ironic. I think he was genuinely like, this is nuts. But at a certain point, it became his fascination with it. It's not that it was ever indistinguishable from actual Scientology, but he was certainly consuming an awful lot of Scientology talk. And, you know, you can trust someone like John Hodgman not to get swept up in it, but, but boy, it was a, a, a fascination for a while. And what I feel like that kind of uh, conspiracy-oriented like um, tourism, what it does is it, it gradually wears away our, our informed doubt about the whole idea that the world is run 
behind closed doors by a minority of powerful people. Because every conspiracy gets down to, at its heart, that idea that the world is run behind closed doors by a small group of powerful people who's in, who not only put their own interests ahead of yours, but are willing to set up global structures of gaslighting, global mechanisms of control, mm-hmm. evidence for which never quite convincingly leaks out except in the hands of a few noble warriors who have finally decoded the structure or finally, you know, found that crucial piece of evidence. And it it just wears down on us until, even though we can't ever point to one conspiracy that we think is the correct one. Right. We do start to believe that conspiracy is an operative principle of life on earth, that there are conspiracies, that they are connected. We can't quite, solidify that idea we can't really pick or choose between them and we recognize that if all were true it would be internally inconsistent you can't have them all right aliens can't live beneath the earth and also the earth is flat (laughs) right that's true that is true you can't have you know if the jews are controlling the media it can't also be the aliens Unless you're ready to call the Jews aliens. Or, or that aliens know, could have converted. Right, or, or the Jews are slaves to the aliens, in right. which case there's an awful lot of levels of bureaucracy here. Why would the aliens need the Jews? They don't. They could just directly control the world. You know what I mean? Like at, at a certain point, you have, to, you have to start recognizing that all the, con- all the conspiracy theories can't, also, can't all be equally true. But... But that's that's where we've arrived, kind of culturally. That it, that there are conspiracies on the left, there are conspiracies on the right, there are conspiracies in the middle. It's just that we have we have accepted the language of conspiracy and the premise of it, and then it doesn't matter what the actual. It doesn't matter that none of them actually line up, that none of them have any real evidence, that that they're all in the they're all of a family, which is a family of spook stories and anti-Semitic tradition and, uh, you know, and like they're, they are just control mechanisms, not of a global cabal, but just control mechanisms on the small scale that the guy at the cocktail party now has everybody's attention because he's the one that, that knows the, the truth, right? The dad doesn't let us drink Coke because Coke has got saltpeter in it and it keeps his boner down or whatever it is you know it's just horse shit that stands in for real politics it's horse shit that stands in for real science but we accept it now in a way that 30 40 years ago that all would have been regarded as crackpot fringe stuff not worth our attention and the idea that it's now that every time you turn on the television, the president of the United States is is speaking a language of conspiracy, but also every time you read the the Bernie Sanders intelligentsia, they're also advancing conspiracy theories that the Democratic National Committee, working in concert with global capitalism, is you know is 
pulling the strings of the primary process and the superdelegates to eliminate <laughs> the the true voice of the people. It's just like, fuck you. You know, everybody's just trying to do their jobs. And every every one of these systems is is motivated by the thousands of people that are working within it that are just making like moment to moment decisions about which inbox to put any particular piece of paper in. And the person at the top has all these people coming into their office every day going, well, here's a new problem. And they're just shooting from the hip. Most of them, the only ones you can trust are the people that are that, that step away from their centrifuge and go, I just isolated a, a, a thing. <laughs> I, I isolated a thing that I can look at through a microscope. I don't even know what it means. Like those are the ones you can trust, right? Or, or an engineer that says, well, I've run the numbers and it seems like there's going to be more stress on this, on this, uh, abutment than we knew before. We should, <laughs> we should go back to the drawing board. Like that's the stuff that is real. Yeah. And honestly, I think Dan in politics and philosophy, there are real things. There are real truths. Right. Now I'm, I'm increasingly in the minority. Um, because there's no truth that you can promulgate that there won't be, a, a, in some cases, always a louder voice saying that that truth that you're trying to promote is in service of, a, of some dark art. Mm. The whole idea that people are acting selflessly, you know, the the whole the whole idea that well I think it, on the progressive side, the idea that if you're against a candidate, then you're against progressivism. That's been the craziest thing about the last five years, is that a certain a certain segment of progressive thinkers have decided that progressivism progressivism is personified in one candidate and one set of policies. And to be against those, not even against, to not be vociferously in favor of this one option is to be an enemy of progressivism, which is a, which, which is a vast, you know, progressivism is a, is a whole school of thought. It's not, it can't possibly be personified in one person or a group of people or a party or anything, you know, and to indict, to indict people as part of a conspiracy to suppress a, a school of thought because they don't line up behind a single platform or, a, or, or even a half a dozen platforms. Mm -hmm. It all stems from this like weird global now accept, acceptance of, of this premise and I don't know, did it start with like in search of in the 1960s? Oh, I love that you know, show, Leonard Nimoy. That, that show, <laughs> you don't understand. That show was my bread and butter, man. That, I know. Was, that was my jam more really than anything in the whole. I, I, I used to watch that show in, I, I, I couldn't look away from it. Sometimes it terrified me, the Bigfoot episode in particular. Oh, man scary and fun oh, but it's so but it doesn't good. of course it doesn't date to to in search of you know it's the protocols of the elders of zion mm -hmm. it's it's barry goldwater you know it's all right. it's the it's the Minutemen or whatever it's all of these well it's you know hatred of masons and of of the knights of columbus i mean it's it's, it's threaded in america 
But that was always crazy talk. Always crazy talk until now. And when I, it, just talking about it on this show, I will get emails and letters from people that are like, how do you answer for, how do you answer for this? Or, you know, just because the flat earth isn't true doesn't mean that the Jews don't control the media. No one will say that. But, you know, I, I, I tweeted about a theory that the jets plowing into 9-11 was actually a hologram. Oh, and, really? and the World Trade Center was blown up by explosives in the building, but hologram techni- uh, technology existed to create 3D holograms of jetliners to fool the public. And I tweeted about this because it, because it just astonished me. It astonished me how dumb you would have to be or how culpable you would have to be to entertain this theory. And people, uh, there were people on the internet that pushed back that had, you know, that, that wanted to talk about building seven or that wanted to talk about, um, uh, the, the evidence for this, for the, for well, the existence uh, of the, the, res- the response to that, that I would have is okay, but why are you so ready to dis not you personally, but whoever you in this case, so ready to dismiss all of those things without investigating them? Well, who's to say I haven't investigated them? Okay. I think there have been fair answer. There have been there. Every single conspiracy theory has been investigated a thousand different ways. And in, in so many other aspects of life, we accept the results of investigations, right? Like does drinking bleach kill herpes? Well, no, it doesn't because some guys in Arkansas drank bleach to kill their herpes and they died. We don't need to continue to believe that that evidence was tainted. Like the idea that investigations are illegitimate, it it recapitulates the conspiracy idea, right? There's nothing within a conspiracy universe that will satisfy conspiracists because the investigations are all tainted by the cabal, right? It, it, it's the, it's a Ouroboros. So I believe that there is no technology that could create a holographic airplane visible throughout the tri-state area crashing into the world trade center. I, I, I believe that evidence supports this, but also before that, I don't believe that it would be in anyone's self-interest globally, any organization's self-interest to develop that technology and not reveal it and only use it in this one instance to conceal the fact that they hid explosives on two floors of the world trade center in order to destabilize the global economy in order to corner the market or whatever, in order to corner the market on millennium or whatever the conspiracy is, you know, to create a global war against the Muslims because there's, we didn't need it. You, if you want to create a global war against the Muslims, all you need is to have, uh, your secretary of state stand up in front of the United nations and wiggle a, a jar of baking soda. 
like there's always a simpler explanation i guess is the is is the answer right to to almost every single conspiracy theory there's always a more there's probably a simple explanation that's probably correct like oswald i've grown up my whole life hearing about the jfk assassination and so many resources so many brilliant minds have gone over the available data and come up with a lot of various conclusions, including that Woody Harrelson's dad dressed as a hobo and, uh, you know, and shot up, shot up boogers at him. <laughs> and I guess ultimately the JFK assassination, even if it was a mafia plot, and even if the muff a mafia plot because Kennedy something something uh, RFK something something or a Cuban plot or a CIA working in conjunction with the mafia and the Cubans right. even if it even if it was all of those things for any of that to matter beyond just the the short scope like the mob was mad that RFK was cracking down on them and they had the power to put a guy on a grassy knoll right. and shot the president. Even if that's true. Yeah. Who cares? The mafia got cracked down upon and is no longer a major player. Right? Didn't matter. Uh, if it were, if it was the Cubans working on, you know, uh, it, to, to avenge Bay of Pigs, doesn't matter. Like Cuba's got their own problems. It's, you know, it was, now 60 years ago or not, not quite, uh, Cuba and Castro, you know, Raul, like they're not, they got their own, it didn't solve anything, right? CIA as part of a plan to perpetuate the Vietnam war, like all that shit has played out. It's all played out. So even if, even if JFK was killed as a, as a component of a large conspiracy, it requires that you have a susceptibility to the grand conspiracy to believe that the assassination of JFK was anything other than an unfortunate moment in history. And whether it was one crank or 50 cranks or some mobsters employing a crank like unless you believe that that the that the bony hand of the Rothschilds <laughs> and the and the Council on Foreign Relations is manipulating the strings in order to accomplish some other more nefarious plot then the uh, who killed JFK doesn't matter and that's that's hard for me as a generation X American to say, because I've been soaking in the Kennedy assassination my entire goddamn life as though it was the most important event in, in, in the 20th century. But it only is if it's a, if you are, if that was your gateway to believing that what we see isn't real. And if you believe that what we see isn't real, 
that's what makes you susceptible to believe that um, that hurricanes are being seeded in the clouds by um, by like weather chemists, right? That that's what leads you to believe that that the uh, coronavirus w- was created in a lab to uh, to to kill millions as part of a plan. And, you know, at a, at a certain point, if you believe all that stuff, then when somebody tells you that the earth is round, you're like, well, I don't know about this. You know, like it, it's a slippery slope. And it's, it's, I think it's it, nowadays it's harder to sit in your chair and go, actually, everything is pretty much like it seems people have limited capacity and they're doing the best they can. And they've built a they've built a world that is bigger than they can handle. Because it's easier to build new things than it is to figure out how old things work. And so we keep building new things to try and fix the old things that we built that we didn't know how to run. And we're living in a world where they're where programs are running right and left and and we're basically like trying to run the switchboard. That's why things are fucked up. You got 50 different, <laughs> the United States government has 50 different intelligence operations and none of them talk to each other. <laughs> that seems way more fucked up than the idea that the Rothschilds know everything. Yeah. <laughs> right. And that's not a conspiracy. That's just, that's just people being, uh, that's just people not knowing how to, uh, to understand the programs that they're, that are already running. And how do you get a, how do you get on top of that? You know, I mean, you, you listen to the chemists, 